0: Young, back to throw, in trouble, he's going to be sacked, no, gets away, he runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10, he dies, touchdown
1: 49ers. For the first time since 2013, the 49ers are going to the NFC Championship game. I am Zane Nackvie with Levin Black. This is another episode of the 49ers Web Zone Know How to Podcast, your NFC West champion San Francisco 49ers. And, man, Levin, I can taste it. I can feel it. They're so close. They're so close yet so far. This is one of those magical seasons. This reminds me of 2011. Like, out of nowhere, this team team was not expected to do this good. We didn't really know what we'd get out of them. And all of a sudden, like, bam, they're 8-0 and, like, As soon as we can blink, the playoffs are here. They get the first round by by an inch. They throttle Minnesota, and here we are in the NFC Championship game week. I mean, can you can you believe how fast this has happened? Yeah, they're not only there, but
2: they're in the catbird seat. I mean, I don't think there's any question that they are the best team, top to bottom, left in the playoffs. Kansas City, I would say, is the only one that's even got an argument. So it's truly, if if you can put yourself back in the in the shoes that you were in back in August, you would be amazed at where the Niners are at. I mean, they are unquestionably the best team left in the playoffs.
1: I want to go back to our predictions if we can somehow, like just go back in, in time. And I think I predicted we'll get eight wins. And and I don't remember what your prediction was, but uh, do, you, do you remember how many wins you predicted? I'm not sure.
2: I think I said nine and seven, but we could see 10, 10 and six
1: real easy, something like that. look back at that and it's like damn like the we we had no idea what was in store if you could travel back in time and and think of what we were thinking about at that time there were so many unknowns with like jimmy and the defense and they just signed kwan alexander to that big deal which i guarantee you nobody's complaining about now traded for d ford which i guarantee you nobody's complaining about now all of those things in the offseason like they had an a plus offseason and that rarely happens I mean, before we talk about this Vikings game, and, and we will get into the the, the recap of that, I, I do want to touch on this, where everything's fallen into place for the 49ers in, in the last 12 months or so, where it set them up in this position that they are now, hosting an NFC championship game with the most complete team left in the NFL in the playoffs and a legitimate chance to go to and win the Super Bowl. Like from Jimmy Garoppolo tearing his ACL to them being able to get that number one, number two pick with Nick Bosa and having Arizona jump up to number one to get, to get Kyler Murray and essentially jettison Josh Rosen. Then they end up trading for D Ford. Then Quan Alexander comes in. And obviously the, the, the timeline on, the, on these is not chronological, but they're doing all these things in the offseason leading up to the season. Then during the season, they get a, a lot of really solid play from contributors. You wouldn't even think of like Raheem Mostert and Emmanuel Mosley, who we're going to talk about and guys, and even Akilah Witherspoon, although he had a rough game, like at the beginning of the season, these guys, these role players all stepped up. And now we look at the playoffs, like the Niners won the division by an inch. They got that first round by first, first divisional playoff game of the day. Uh, you know, they are set up because Baltimore's out. Um, when Green Bay beat Seattle, Seattle's out. um, Kansas City's almost out. I mean, they're basically being set up to be able to go go where they want to go. And, and it started with pretty much last season.
2: Yeah. I mean, if it when you get to the fact that Quiskey came back, Kwan came back, and D Ford all came back just for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They all got healthy in time to to play in that Minnesota game. And the defense is all all of a sudden reverted back to the historic defense that we saw in the first half of the season. I mean, they were at an historic pace there as a uh, defense, at least against the pass, at that time before the injury set in. Now, all of a sudden, they're healthy again, and they're dominating again. It's almost like the stars are aligning. And if you could get the faithful to be quiet enough, you might hear the angels singing of what's to come.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's see that's i mean you put it a lot better than i did my my disjointed way of saying it. my point is is exactly that where the stars are indeed aligning for the 49ers and man they they look so good against the vikings on defense this was the the same defense that we saw in the first half of the season they were so dominant six sacks on kirk cousins they had 17 pressures on 35 dropbacks like they they only brought four rushers i believe out of uh, all the 35 dropbacks it was 29% of the time or 29 of those 35 dropbacks they brought four rushers so the majority of the time they're not even blitzing and they're getting a ton of pressure and that's exactly what we saw early in the season they forced that huge turnover with sherman's interception like they were absolutely dominant and they're getting hot at the right time man
2: right And there's really only one mistake in the game one huge mistake and that was the witherspoon touchdown mm-hmm. that he allowed early in the game right before he got pulled but i do think it needs to be said that As much as I want to pile on Witherspoon, because he has played pretty poorly lately, I give him all the credit in the world after Shanahan made it public. This was just earlier today as of when we are recording, that Witherspoon, upon getting pulled and being told that they were going with E-Man, he went immediately to the special teams coach and said, give me E-Man's plays on special teams. I want to help. I'm still here. He needs to be rested to play on defense. I'll take all his snaps on special teams. I mean that that's a team player and like I said, as much as I want to pile on, I'm not going to because that's a guy that gets it.
1: That's I mean, I'm I'm really glad you made that point because that's championship mentality right there. That's what that is, really. It's next man up, but if I'm not playing, I'm gonna I'm gonna help in any way I can. And Witherspoon had zero special team snaps this entire season. He played seven uh on on Saturday against the Vikings. And it's that sort of mentality that this team has kept and maintained and like you mentioned earlier the additions of Quan Alexander, D. Ford and Joukowsky Tart is it's almost like you're adding three free agents to your team come playoff time it's almost like that because they've been without them for so long and they needed that buy in the worst way if they didn't get that, that buy we wouldn't be here right now talking about an nc championship game and a possible super bowl berth for the 49ers and I really I really truly believe that if they are able to match the intensity that they had against the Vikings on defense and play even like a B plus game. Cause I, I didn't think they played a C I thought they played a C plus game on offense. If they play a B plus or B game on offense, they're winning this game handily against green Bay. But you know, there's some, there's certain things that, that they need to fix. I think uh, before we really start talking about going all the way and, and going to Miami and hoisting on their trophy, one of those things you kind of touched on was a Keller Witherspoon touchdown. I didn't think he should have started. I, I like him. I, I'm not saying that, you know, he's, he's a bad guy or anything. I just think that he's been struggling and cornerback is such a mental position and, and he just mentally, it just seems like he he's, he's hasn't been there uh, the last few weeks, the last four or five games. He's been struggling. So I tweeted it out earlier earlier on that day when I find, when I found out that he was starting, that it should have probably been Emmanuel Mosley and they paid for it. And Kyle was actually the one to pull, pull uh Witherspoon. Robert Sala mentioned in the press conference um, after the game where um, it was actually Kyle's call to pull Witherspoon, and I, and I really appreciate Kyle taking that kind of control in that situation.
2: Right, and it's a tough situation because Witherspoon, it's not like he's just been getting burnt. You know, mm-hmm. It's not like he's been playing bad fundamentals. It's literally come down to the last moment. He's in great position. He's covered his man exactly as he should, and even on that that touchdown, he's in position to get an interception. When that ball was released by Kirk Cousins, I was thinking, this is an interception, or at the very least, he's got the better position, so it's not going to be a completion. And then all of a sudden, it's a touchdown, because at the moment the ball got there, he got lost, Mm -hmm. and he did nothing. And that's been what's been going on, is that he's in great position. He actually has very good coverage but he's not finishing the play. When the ball comes, he's missing it, or he's not seeing the ball until it's too late and ends up allowing the reception. So it's not as bad as it seemed, but at the same time, when a guy is consistently doing that, you can't let him stay out there.
1: Yeah, and Mosley, as soon as Mosley came in, there was an immediate boost on that side. They threw out him a couple of times, and obviously the pass rush has to has a lot to do with it too, but he, they threw at Mosley a couple of times and he was able to break up a couple of passes. And I think that you're probably going to see Mary Mosley start and they may do the same thing. Like when, when Witherspoon started, I think it was, it was known by everybody. It was, it was the worst kept secret that it was going to be a pretty quick hook. And that's exactly what happened on that first drive. He got a pass interference on third down and then gave up another third down reception to Adam Thielen and then gave up another third down reception to Diggs on the touchdown. So um, Kyle was pretty quick at that hook. And I think that that will probably be the case at, at some point uh, uh, against the Packers on Sunday where if Emmanuel Mosley really struggles, like he, he won't be afraid to to put Witherspoon in and see see what he can do.
2: Right, and I mean, we can talk about how well the defense played in that game for two hours. I mean, Everybody will yep. be asleep behind the <laughs> wheel if we do that. But <laughs> I mean, we're talking about with this. It, I mean, like- <laughs> they almost set the record for fewest touchdowns allowed yeah. in a playoff game. I mean, Minnesota got it there in kind of junk time, but they only allowed seven first downs. The defense dominated that game as well as any team can dominate a game.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: They completely shut down Minnesota, and this is a Minnesota team that just inflicted their will on a Saints team that went 13-3. and And while they don't have the defense that the Niners do, they still have a pretty good defense. So this is a Minnesota team that was capable of putting out some points. I mean, they have Dalvin Cook, who was completely shut down. I don't know if it was the worst game he's had this season. I didn't go back and look at his game logs, but it's got to be right there. I mean, he he did absolutely nothing. It was a complete non-factor. Most of his yards came on dump downs Mm -hmm. when Kirk Cousins was about to be sacked. And then they also shut down the pass game, other than that one play. I mean, Thielen, the most memorable play Thielen had was Sherman's interception, where Sherman Mm -hmm. ran the route for him. So it was just a completely dominating defensive performance, but I feel like we should talk about the offense, because I don't necessarily agree that it was only a C-plus performance by the offense
1: it wasn't it, it well i mean it depends on what lens you're looking looking at it through and uh it's funny because we were talking about keller where spoon and i'm like oh man he got burned and that's it for the defense like that that's literally the only talking point that's like kind of negative ish and even then it turned into a positive because he was able to be a team player and that stuff so i i think i'm with you where, where the defense is there it's a it's an elite defense. Again, they're not leaky anymore. So um, I, I do want to return to a couple of stats later. And Stats had a couple of stats um, that he wanted to, to give to us while he's out sick. But, um, yeah, the offense. So there's a couple of ways to look at this. They had a really good first drive. And Jimmy, he, the first throw he had to Debo was a little bit off. It, it was off target. Debo made a good catch. But the rest of that drive, he was fine. He was four for five, um, completing passes on that drive. He, he complete, completed the touchdown to Kenrick Bourne in a tight window. And it seemed like they were they were kind of rolling, and and Kyle was kind of getting to a rhythm with play calling there. And all of a sudden the wheels kind of fell off after that, and they were running the ball really well. but I, I think that Jimmy, his first playoff game, and we didn't know what would get out of him in the first playoff game. We thought that that there would be some jitters and 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 there were. and it seemed like he he just wasn't seeing the field very well for whatever reason. Maybe it's Mike Zimmer's uh, a scheme that was kind of confusing him, or maybe he was trying to force uh, the ball to, to certain people when he, when he shouldn't have, but it just seemed like Jimmy wasn't seeing the, seeing the field very well or as well as he, as he usually does. And I think that Kyle kind of recognized that a little bit And stats. And I were, were talking about this and, and uh, we kind of came to the agreement that maybe Kyle was, was trying to take the ball at Jimmy's hands for a little bit until he settled down by running the ball a little bit. And they just kept running the ball really well. And they just, it's, they kept doing that.
2: I mean, why change something that's working? Exactly. I think they came out, they passed, they got the lead. Once they got the lead, Shannon said, "Shanahan said, okay, now I'm going to run it. And they never stopped it. So why do anything Hmm. else? Was Jimmy crisp? Was he a plus Jimmy? No. But I think after that first drive, I wouldn't say the Niners ran a vanilla passing offense because you you can't risk losing a playoff game trying to save plays. Like I've seen some people suggest I don't think they saved plays, but they were only passing when they had to. When it was mm-hmm. third and long they were going to pass. And that is a good defense over there. And when they know you're going to pass they, they are good enough to cause problems. And I think that had a lot to do with Jimmy Garoppolo seeming off. And also I believe that while he didn't save plays, Kyle didn't necessarily want Jimmy taking big risks. Mm -hmm. He didn't want that gunslinger to show up because they didn't need it at that time. If they needed it, then Jimmy could come out and be that gunslinger. But I think he purposely tried to limit the big risk because at the time, they just scored on the opening drive. The run game is dominating. They're destroying the clock. They're winning the time of possession. They're going to be set up great for the second half. And then the second half starts off well. So they're set up great. To not allow Minnesota to come back in the game. The only way Minnesota was going to come back in the game was to get a big turnover and shift momentum. So why risk it? Keep running it. They can't stop it. I think that had more to do with it than Kyle seeing that Jimmy was off.
1: Yeah, I mean, I buy that. I, I, I agree with that too, just because uh, they saw something that worked and like you said, they kept going with it. And it looks like to me, the funny thing is, is that they ran the ball 47 times they never had a a run longer than 11 yards. So they're literally zero negative and zero negative yards. So like all of their runs were between zero and 11 yards. There was no 50 yard run, no 20 yard run. Like they were just literally death by a thousand paper cuts. And I, I, Appreciate that because it shows that Kyle is willing to adapt, especially in the playoff situation. And at times he's, he's uh, come under criticism from myself as well uh, during the season to, to not adapt to the current situation, but he did really well with that. And I think that once they found something that worked, they kept going for it. And and the point that you make about the, the third and longs is, is a really good point because they were in a lot of third and longs. They had to convert some of those because either they couldn't get anything on first or second down or incomplete passes or, it was just a matter of it's like third and eight and we got to make a, we got to make a throw like the interception that Jimmy threw. I mean, it was, it was bad. Like you can't, you can't be doing that in the championship game against Aaron Rodgers. You can't like, he didn't see um, Kendricks there who basically undercut the route and was trying to get it, I believe to to Debo and Kendricks totally undercut it. It was an easy pick for him. Jimmy didn't see him. uh, And it looks like to me, Jimmy was trying to throw that pick the entire time. the entire game up to that point because Kendrick's dropped another one before that to Kittle that was in triple coverage. And there was the throw to Debo uh, where he took it to the goal line. And it was just like over Kendrick's fingertips where Jimmy was, he was flirting with it for a little bit and Kendrick's finally got him. But I think that you have to have those things happen uh, to be able to, to get better. And I think that he'll see the film and he'll see some things. And Kyle, like you said, will will come up with a lot more things to to make it easier on him and and limit the the mistakes that he could possibly make because really when it comes down to jimmy's like you said jimmy's a gunslinger and he's going to have that mentality so i i'm not sure if you can get that mentality out of a guy but you can you can mitigate some of those mistakes by by the plays that you call and they were masterful running the ball they were amazing on the ground uh and and it was just a a really really kind of stress-free game wasn't it i don't know about you i was i was kind of like stress-free for the most part I mean. The most stress-free game the Niners
2: have probably had since the Packers game. Yeah. Every game's been decided at the last minute, or last play even. So I would say it's probably the most stress-free game, but here's a metaphor or an analogy for you of how this game went. It was a Mike Tyson sprinting out of his corner to start a boxing match and landing a big haymaker and knocking his opponent down. Now, the Vikings did get up before the 10 count, and they hung in there let uppercut and finished him off. And I think that was the Sherman interception. That was the uppercut that ended this game for all intents and purposes.
1: Yeah, I agree. The Sherman play was, was kind of the tipping point where once he got that pick, first of all, like you said, like you said, he, uh, he basically ran that route for Adam Thielen. And, and when he got the interception, they proceeded to run the ball eight straight times after that culminating in the Tevin Coleman touchdown. And that basically broke Minnesota. They went up 24, 10 and that was the moment I'm like, okay, this game is basically over because Minnesota was gassed they couldn't do anything to stop them and the Niners physically imposed their will on another team and basically made them pretty much give up
2: yeah it it broke their will i think that was a it was that moment that Minnesota realized it's over there's no mm-hmm. getting up from this one this is the 10 count we're out
1: yeah and it's to me, that's why, that's why I was stress-free because this, this happened well before the game was over. So it was nice, like you said, to not not have to go down to the last whistle. But that being said, like, I, I think that the, we, we shouldn't be lulled into a false sense of security going forward just because there is room for improvement. That's, that's the scary thing about the Niners is that they got by against the Minnesota Vikings, especially in offense, playing like a like a C, C-plus game. And they really, like you said, they didn't really open up their playbook because they didn't have to. And we know that the defense is going to bring it. They may not play to a historic level every week, but we know that this is an elite defense and it's the most complete defense left in the, in the playoffs right now. So going forward with whoever they play, if they beat Green Bay, whether it's, whether it's Kansas City or, or Tennessee in the Super Bowl or if, you know, even, even for Sunday, we can say that they can play even slightly worse on defense and slightly better on offense and still come away with a win, right? Is that, is that, is that kind of irrational to, to say?
2: No, and I think that's true of pretty much any team. I mean, every team has room for improvement. I mean, the Ravens' run game wasn't perfect this season.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It was an historically great run game, but they still had room for improvement. And any coach would say that. It's kind of coach speak, but I get what you're saying. The Niners, I, I don't think they really had to take too many tricks out of their bag yet. And we've kind of talked about this in text message, and I've mentioned it on Twitter. Where is the fake punt? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mitch runs a 4 six forty. he's a big dude we saw him lay somebody out in preseason yeah. where is my fake punt <laughs> I'm waiting there's going to come a time maybe, maybe, well I shouldn't say that maybe they don't have to but I've been sitting and waiting <laughs> all season long for that right circumstance where the Niners get a little bit desperate and they're right around midfield and they need to punt and they run that fake punt. So I want to see it, and I want to see what he can do.
1: <laughs> you, you want, so you want them, well, not pull a Bill O'Brien, which I do want to get to later on and get your <laughs> thoughts on that. But not pull a, pull a Bill O'Brien, but but you just want to see Wyschnowski run the ball. You want to see what the ball is in his hands.
2: Yeah, why not? On a design Let's play. play. Run.
1: On, on a just design be a play. a Jared
2: Hain and fumble.
1: <laughs> so you want to see on a design play, not like a fire drill where it's like a fumbled snap or something like that. No, you, you want to see like a design fake punt.
2: Yeah, all right. I, I'm waiting for it. I mean, there's going to come a time where they're at the right spot. It's just whether or not the game circumstances dictate it. Because I think it does take a certain amount of desperation. Because when you have a defense as good to the 49ers, if you're up, you're not going to risk it. Right. And at the same time, if it's a close game, you're not going to risk it. it. It's when you're kind of desperate and you, you need a little offense, and it's okay, it's worth the risk at this point.
1: Yeah, and and I think that they had the game in in such control where they didn't they didn't really need to do it. Uh, we heard Kyle after the game say that it, it in the locker room say that it played out the exactly the way that they thought they thought it would. The team that got to thirty runs first would win basically, and that's that's exactly what happened. And the funny thing is that George Kittle was like a non-factor in the passing game. He had three catches, and one of those was a little shovel at the at the in the red zone uh, near the end of the game where they got before they got their the twenty seventh point. On a field goal, but he was kind of a, a decoy, and, he, and it's kind of refreshing for them to be able to get something on offense other than having to rely on George Kittle. And I think that earlier on this season, you could have said that there's an over reliance on Kittle, and teams were starting to take it away. But I think that now, going into the the championship game against Green Bay, the odd, the funny thing is, is I feel like they're actually a better offense now than the, that night that they played Green Bay. I really do. I feel like they're better rounded.
2: I, I think they're a little more experienced and. They got all three running backs. I mean, we've harped on Coleman on this podcast, and we got to give credit where it's due. He had a good game. Mm-hmm. I I noticed that. I almost texted you and Rob because we texted during the games, and I, I ended up not doing it. I got distracted, and by the time I came back to it, it's like ah, too late. But I noticed he's he's finally, at least in this game, seemed to make a change because for the last half season or so. He's been trying to dance a little too much. And this Shanahan offense is about utilizing your speed. Get the ball and just get going and find the hole on your way. And he's kind of gotten the ball and he gets to where the hole could be and he starts to hesitate and dance like he's trying to be Le'Veon Bell. Mm -hmm. And I noticed in this game, he was getting the ball, making one cut and moving. And that's what is successful in this offense. It's what's been successful in this type of runs game for 20 plus years now. I mean Kyle's not the one that invented this run game. So I like this I liked the change and I'm wondering if something was said or if we saw something that he was doing during the bye week and this is yet another thing that the bye week was imperative for.
1: Yeah, and it shortened the game too. That's that's one of the other big things is that all week long we heard about Minnesota. We heard about oh man, what are they gonna do with with against Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs and Kyle Rudolph and Oh my God. Like Dalvin cook is such a good runner on the outside the tackles and this and that, and like analyst after analyst picking, picking Minnesota. Like you saw the screen grabs Forty down on Twitter. Thank you very much, by the way, for bringing it to the team's attention. Cause the night before the game, Kendrick Bourne, I should reach for one of those screen grabs where the entire panel picked the, the Minnesota Vikings. And I think that the more, uh, that the Niners know about this and they have a chip on their shoulder, the, the, the hungrier they are as, as odd as it sounds, cause you should be hungry enough in the playoffs. But, uh, but the the amount of disrespect that they were getting, I tweeted this out, and I, I stand by it. The amount of disrespect that they got as a 13-3 number one seed was was shocking to me. Where they didn't even have um didn't even have like people uh, across the board picking them. It was like Fox, uh, all those guys picked the Vikings and CBS, all those guys picked the Vikings, like, you know, Skip Bayless, Stephen A. Smith, all these guys hating on, on the on the Niners. And it's just it just got to be a little bit ridiculous to me, and the Niners kind of kind of imposed their will and they were historic defensively. It was, they set a team record for at least rushing yards allowed 21 uh, rushing yards allowed is the least in, in 49ers post-season history, 147 told yards allowed is the least in 40, 49ers postseason history. They were simply, they were simply historic. This was basically, um, a flat out dominant game and, and stats wanted to to put the stat out for us where uh, he he mentioned how the game went uh, two hours and 49 minutes, which is the shortest game in, in a decade uh, for the playoffs. So really they were on the field. The defense was on the field for 46 snaps, which is, which is nothing. They're going to be fresh for the next week. So that being said, Levin, let's, let's talk about game balls, man. Let's, let's wrap it and, and move on to the Packers.
2: Well, I think it's only fair. We give Rob the first one since he's not here.
1: All right. So, so stats, um, the stats has uh, the game ball going to uh, Kyle Shanahan for recognizing that Jimmy wasn't sharp uh, at the beginning and running it down the, the Vikings throats. Um, He really, really adjusted uh, the game plan to uh, attack a weakness. And I, that I didn't think he was personally prepared for uh, before the game. Like if you ask Kyle Shanahan, like I'm going to have to adjust my game plan um, or not, he probably would have said, no, he probably would have said, we're going to roll with Jimmy, but they were just so dominant running the ball. Uh, so, Kyle Shanahan gets gets stats game ball. What about you, Levin?
2: Well, I got to go with Richard Sherman. Uh, I'm not going to be like those other guys who don't recognize his greatness. I mean,
1: (laughs) I hated his greatness
2: for years. I mean, easily the most hated non-niner player, I would say, was Sherman for years amongst the Niners fan base. And now he's a Niner, and people truly aren't recognizing his greatness. It's kind of weird because at his peak in Seattle, Everybody talked about it. And then he got injured and he moved on to the 49ers. And now nobody kind of gives him his due. I mean, statistically, he was one of the best corners, if not the best corner in the league. And we've seen it a lot of games, especially lately, as those analytics have kind of become a little more spread, widespread, teams have flat out stopped throwing his way. I mean, it, it, it's become, once again, a no man's land where wherever Sherman is, the opposing quarterback is not going. And he got his interception in this game where he literally ran the route for the wide receiver. Mm
1: -hmm. So I
2: got to pick Sherman. And I want to say Sherman is deserving of the Walter Payton man of the year with all the things that he's done. And I hope he ends up winning.
1: Yeah, he is. It's funny because now he's flipped that switch. You hear him in the press conferences. He's like petty Sherm. Now what he was in Seattle, like a petty kind of cocky, uh, swagger like he has all that stuff now and during the season he was kind of like more mellow and and laid back but now it's like you can see that intensity that that playoff intensity has kind of flipped that switch inside of him and I think that he is the vocal leader of the team and and he is the guy that keeps his team grounded so um sherm I mean I love the fact that he's on our team on our side I love that fact it's kind of funny because we're looking at uh as of Sunday it's going to be 6 years to the day since Richard Sherman tipped away that pass from Michael Crabtree into Malcolm Smith's hands and he has a chance to put the Niners in the Super Bowl as well, help put the Niners in the Super Bowl six years later on the same day. It's, it's, it's crazy, full circle. Um, so my game ball uh, my game ball goes to Nick Bosa. And wow, what, what a performance. He had two sacks. He had several t- tackles for loss. He was so dominant. Like, Kirk Cousins was a sitting duck in the pocket. Nick Bosa, for his first playoff game, this guy's a rookie, and he's playing like a 10-year veteran. It reminds me so much of, it's funny because this team has so many parallels. I mentioned with the 2011 team, they kind of came, came out of nowhere and, and you have a, a dynamic pass rusher, Nick Bosa back then it was, it was Alden Smith, but uh, they remind me so much of each other because that was a, that was a defense run oriented team. This is a defense kind of run oriented team. I'll look at the pass a little bit more, but I just, I'm so impressed with Bosa. I can't wait to see what the future holds for him. And I can't, I can't wait to see him advance in the playoffs, man. Hopefully he's playing for a Super Bowl ring.
2: All right. Well, I think it's time to transition to what's coming up, which is the Green Bay game. We've kind of hinted at it. We might even have talked about it a little bit. And we'll talk about it a little more amongst the two of us, but we do have a special guest. He joined us prior to the first game, and hey, that worked out 37 to 8, so we figured we'd bring him (laughs) back a second time. We are joined by somebody that I know quite well and you were introduced to earlier this season. His name's Ryan Wood. He works for the Green Bay Press-Gazette, and he's been a beat reporter for Green Bay. Been following the Packers for quite a few years now. Very familiar with the team, Ryan. Thanks for joining us.
0: Absolutely. How's it going?
2: It's going well. Got uh, a very good rivalry game. Kind of hoping it rekindles this rivalry uh, on a personal note. You know, Green Bay was my least favorite team for pretty much all my fanhood because the first three years I watched the Niners, they played Green Bay in the playoffs. Back in those nineties games. So I've always had a special place in my heart for Green Bay.
0: And I imagine that Packers fans are feeling little shades of uh nineteen ninety seven again, you know, going uh, through to hope in their in their you know mind, hopefully to the Super Bowl and going through to the forty ers
2: Yeah, Aaron Rodgers got a couple of years left here to kind of rekindle this rivalry and hopefully this won't be the last time they meet in the playoffs, but We'll go ahead and get started. I I wanted to start with kind of a basic question in that what is the kind of vibe and demeanor of this team since they do have a a brand new coach, you know, and there's a lot of talk of, oh, are him and Aaron Rodgers on the same page? They certainly seem to be on the same page now. So what's it like in that locker
0: room? Well, it's, you know, they, they certainly are, they have a good mix of young and old in that locker room. There's a lot of young guys that have never been here before, but then there's that core group. Aaron Rodgers, the obvious uh, name that comes to mind, that has the wherewithal to know that this type of thing does not happen every year. This is rare, um, and not just to be at the NFC Championship game. But shoot, when they practice this week, all twenty-two starters, all twenty-two preferred starters, are going to be healthy and and participating. You know, they do have a little bit of a flu bug that's been plaguing them the past couple of weeks. But from a strictly injury standpoint, this is a completely healthy team, and that's incredibly rare this time of year to to get to this point and have all your all your players at your disposal so it's a an opportunity I mean on one hand nobody nobody this offseason had this team being 13 and 3 first round by home game of the divisional round and then on the doorstep of the Super Bowl in the NFC title game Uh, so there's a little bit of I mean it's kind of house money but then It's not at all that. It's the opposite of that because when Aaron Rodgers is 36 and the window is shrinking and you're here again, and this is the third time they've been back to this stage since they were Super Bowl champions in 2010, it's old hat for the quarterback. When they're here again and that window is shrinking, you know you've
1: got to take advantage of it when it presents itself because it doesn't happen every year. So... You mentioned the injury report, and uh, I remember during the game, Brian Balaga went out with an injury. What's, what's the report on him? He had a, he had a bug. Um, he
0: was active, but did not start, did not play, because he was, uh, he, he was sick. Yeah, I, I spoke with David Bakhtiari after the game last night, and he said there's basically four different strands of the flu virus that have been going around the Packers locker room the past wow. two weeks. And David Bakhtiari had it a week before, Mm-hmm. Brian Belaga, apparently it wasn't technically the flu, but it put him out of commission. It was a 24-hour type bug. Talk about terrible luck, uh, especially for a free agent. That it could be his final game ever at Lambeau Field. He wasn't able to play. Um, but with him out, I mean, Brian Gudikins has positioned himself to be executive of the year in the NFL, and he's done a lot of splashy moves, bringing in the Smith this offseason, mm-hmm. uh, going out and getting Billy Turner, Adrian Amos. He spent a lot of money this spring, But there's been those subtle under-the-radar moves, too, and one of those was was in early December going and claiming Jared Valdir from the reserve retired list. And you're talking about a backup tackle who's started 120 games, a guy Mm -hmm. that back when the Packers were in the divisional round in 2015 played the the Arizona Cardinals. Jared Valdir was the left tackle for that team that beat the Packers at that round, so when a fluke-type thing happens to Brian Belaga, one of their truly best players, their most indispensable players, the fact that they had a guy like Jared Valdir to, to fall back on, that had played so much football a decade in the league, had been to that point before, the moment wasn't too big for him, played the entire game after the entire week being on the scout team. I mean, just in a matter of, of a couple hours, his, he's got to shift his brain from playing no snaps to playing all the snaps. And really, outside of one play, the first red zone snap of the night on their opening drive when Jadavian Clowney did what Jadavian Clowney does and beat Jared Beldir inside with a, a really good, uh, explosive move off the ball. He was clean the entire night. It was a really remarkable thing. So, you know, that, that they've got some depth set in places that they haven't had in the past. And it really just bolsters Brian Gudikins' executive of the year in the NFL. Uh, resume. I mean, he's, he's had a phenomenal year
1: as the GM. So you mentioned the game and, and I want to stay right there for a second. Uh, everybody saw what happened. Obviously everybody on, on the West coast Niners fans, we were watching this game and kind of wondering who would come out here and play the Niners. And most people were, were not hoping for the Seahawks cause you know, all that stuff that happens with Russell Wilson and the magic that, that happens with them in the playoffs and, and, and all that stuff. But that being said, the the Packers won the game. Aaron Rodgers made a couple of really clutch throws on that last drive, including the the final first down. Jimmy Graham. What's the mood around the team now? Getting getting that big win and against Seattle and and kind of dispatching one of the, one of the more tougher teams to dispatch in the playoffs in the Seattle Seahawks.
0: There's a feeling of being overlooked inside that locker room, and rightly so. Uh, they, they've they've been overlooked. They're 13 and three. And yeah, there's people. The week of. of a divisional round game, saying they're the worst thirteen and three team. That uh, in the playoffs, the worst thirteen and three team that's been around for some time. The reality is that when the Packers have been good over the past decade, really over the past three decades, when the Packers have been good in the Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers era, it has looked a certain way. It has been video game type numbers on offense. It has been explosive big plays, uh, highlights galore, and that just hasn't been this team this year. And it's been very different. And when something's unrecognizable, it has a tendency to be overlooked. Like, right? Oh, they're, they're not as good. They're not, they're not putting up these huge numbers. When in reality, this team is absolutely better than the 2016 team, the run-the-table team that was all Aaron Rodgers and very little else. And Aaron Rodgers has played out of his mind for a stretch of eight games to get him to this point. They're better than this team. They're, they're, they're better uh, – they're as good maybe as the 2014 team that was within five minutes of the Super Bowl. And the reason for that is because – What they're lacking in explosive plays on offense, they have a run game. They have a tremendous offensive line. And they've got a defense that is nasty. It's opportunistic. It plays aggressive. It generates a lot of turnovers. The Smiths have been a pair of Pro Bowl-type talents this year. And Zadarius Smith, an all-pro-type talent this year, with the way that they're able to disrupt games week in and week out. And they have the depth. Like I said, Jared Veldier, a great example of having depth at the tackle spot, which in the NFL is worth its weight. I mean, it's just its so few teams can have a guy like that at the swing position that you can plug in in the division round and not miss a beat and be able to run your entire offense as you planned the entire week going up to the game. This is a, The word is balance. That, that's the, the term that they use to describe themselves, a very balanced football team. Maybe not an explosive football team like we've seen in the past, but balanced in a lot of areas. There, there's not a lot of weaknesses on this team, which is why you can... See them translating well to January football because you got to be able to play well in all phases to win this time.
2: Now the Packers have actually been outgained on the season, which I find a remarkable stat that they're now fourteen and three, and they've actually been outgained on the year. And part of that is is defensively, while they've been able to get after the quarterback in passing situations, against the rush they've been below average. I think they're were sixth on the season uh, in terms of average rush, giving up four point seven yards per. And we just saw the 49ers in a playoff game come out and basically say, we're going to run until you can stop. And they were able to run against a Minnesota defense that at least against the run was better this season than the Packers defense. So how do the Packers approach trying to stop a team that going off last game, Kyle Shanahan is perfectly fine just running?
0: Well, they're going to at least start from this standpoint, right? They're going to know what not to do because whatever they did, in late November, when the last time they were out in the Bay Area, you scrap that game plan, you throw it away in the garbage, and you try something else. Because that game, it, it, from a coaching standpoint, they were completely outcoached. Matt LaFleur was outcoached, and he said this himself, by his mentor Kyle Shanahan. They were completely outplayed. It was the worst game that they played all season, and a lot of that, obviously, was because the 49ers are a tremendous, tremendous football team. You want to talk about battles. They've got the scheme on offense. They've got that running game, and then they've got a, a, a ridiculous, ferocious Defensive line with four first round picks. So, they, you know, they, they, they know what not to do. Uh, the, the things that the Packers hang their hat on is the situational phase of the game. And that's what football is football is a series of situations. If you ace them, you're going to win regardless of the numbers. Uh, and so that's where the you know, red zone, third down, which they were phenomenal last night on third down, especially third and long, has not been the story of the season. They've struggled third down, but they were phenomenal last night on third down. And then turnovers. They're plus 12 in the regular season in in turnovers, which is top five in the league. Those are the areas where the Packers have beaten teams, the the situational phase. Now, what's interesting is in the last 15 years, obviously, do the math, 30 teams have played in the Super Bowl. Of those 30 teams, 25 have ranked top 10 in either rushing or passing offense. So you want to talk about an offensive identity. What do you hang your hat on when you've got to go win a football game? 25 of those 30 were top 10, neither rushing or passing uh, offense. The other five, four of them were the undisputed top defense in the league that year. We're talking 2015 Broncos. We're talking 2008 Steelers. Oh, six bears. You know, four, four of, the, of those teams were the undisputed top defense. The one aberration to that is 2012 Baltimore Ravens who had some fluky things happen that year. One, Joe Flacco had a 117 passer rating in the playoffs, a hot streak that he's never approached before since. And two, Ray Lewis came back that season for the postseason and went on a tear and really kind of changed that defense. So when you look at recent history, the Packers have been very average. When you talk about rushing offense, you talk about rushing defense, you talk about passing offense, every type of major statistical category be both sides of the ball, they've been very average. It would be a break of recent history if, if this team was able to win this week and go to the Super Bowl. Something we haven't seen in a long time. With that said, why are they here? Because of the situational phase of the game.
1: I've been telling 49ers fans to not get too overconfident and 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 keep things in perspective because everybody points back to that regular season game in November. And and to me, I, I think the playoffs are a completely different animal. Playoff Aaron Rodgers is a completely different player. You mentioned how they are basically going to burn that game tape from that game, at least the Packers will. What can they do schematically to reverse some of the things that happened on that night?
0: I think it's about a big part of this game is going to be not letting the game get away from them early. And that's where where things really went downhill quick in that first game. You remember Aaron Rodgers had the fumble early. And the 49ers, the first time they touched the football, they're at the Packers' two-yard line. They punch it in. Mm Mm-hmm. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And not to say, I mean, the Forty ers were clearly, clearly the best team on the field that night. There was no question about that. But it really got away from them fast. That's going to be key. It's going to be critical. Yeah, I, I, I wonder. Yeah, the analytics will tell you. Every time you win a coin toss, you defer. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just what you do in this league. The Seahawks won the coin toss last night. They deferred. Pete Carroll did what the analytics said to do, and when. You got two teams that are kind of run orient. They want to run the football, establish the run. You need a lead to be able to do that. If ever there's a time to not defer and to take the ball, it was kind of last night. It worked to the Packers advantage. They, the first drive, they go down the field, they score a touchdown, they have a 7 0 lead, and now they're able to establish their run. I, I wonder if, if the same might not be true this week where the analytics are one thing, and, and by the book, you always defer if you win the coin toss. But the start of this game and, and the tempo and, and the tone that it sets from the beginning is going to be really important for two teams that really want to establish the run and, and really need a lead to be able to do that. Now we saw last
2: week where Devontae Adams had a huge game. He was most of the offense there and had the game-clinching icing catch there at the end, which was a beautiful throw by Rodgers. But I want to ask you this: if the Niners are able to neutralize Adams, what else do they have? Are, are they going to have anybody else that's capable of winning this game and stepping up and having a huge game?
0: Aaron Jones. Um, you know, the, the way that they've used him of late, they finally have taken the reins off, and they finally have used him as a workhorse, um, something that they've the Packers organizationally, whether it's Matt LaFleur, Mike McCarthy, have been very reluctant to do over his three seasons. Um, you saw it more than ever last night where he had 21 carries and the second most number of rushing attempts on the team was Aaron Rodgers with five Jamal Williams only had two. It was Aaron Jones's offense. It was kind of like in the NBA when, when you see teams with expanded rotation over the course of 82 games to preserve players, keep their bodies fresh, keep their knees good. And then you get into a playoff series and all of a sudden you shrink the rotation. You might only play seven or eight guys. Kind of what the Packers did last night. They shrunk their rotation offensively and they really relied on three primary guys, Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, obviously, and Aaron Jones. The one guy outside that that triumphant that to keep an eye on would be Al Mazard. He's kind of emerged as the number two in this offense. Now that it's a huge gap between one and two. I mean, it's not a one A, one B type situation by any stretch. It's it's a huge gap. But he's week in and week out been able to provide plays, whether it be some catches on third down. Um, he, he's a phenomenal blocker they, for a team that really prides itself in the run game. Their receivers have been what they what they haven't given them in the passing game. The receivers have been really good as blockers this year. Alan Lazard's leading that charge, so he's kind of a guy to keep an eye on. But there's no, I mean, there's no question that they're going to be their triplets are who they're going to be counting on. Rodgers, Adams and Jones to, to carry the day offensively.
1: Lazard got, uh, I don't know if he got a, uh, Charlie horse in his leg or something like that. Aaron Jones uh, on a run last night, um, ended up getting tackled and hit Lazard's thigh and Lazard had to go to the locker room. Is he, is he okay?
0: He is. He got lucky. You know. It was a nasty collision, uh, that Aaron Jones had, uh, kind of g- going into his, his backside, but mm-hmm. his legs didn't get caught uh, up underneath him. And a lot of those times you see something like that, especially a guy not expecting to get hit that hard. Your, your legs get caught underneath the end of the grass. That didn't happen for Alan Lazard. In fact, when he, uh, when, when he went to the locker room, he walked halfway there and then he jogged the rest of the way. Kind of like, forget this, I'm going it. Mm-hmm. Kind of a, t- a sign showing everyone that that he's feeling pretty good. So, I you know I'm sure he's sore today. There's no question about that. I mean, you get hit like that, especially in that freezing cold, it's going kind to of smart a little bit. But mm-hmm.
1: he, he's he uh, he he should be okay. Now moving to the defensive side of the ball. uh So Preston Smith and Darius Smith, like we we hear all about them, and and they're very similar in terms of statistics to uh the defensive end for Minnesota, Daniel Hunter and uh, and Everson Griffin. And what they were able to do, what do you expect from them? Like the, the Packers don't blitz a lot. I remember um, there was a two point conversion where, where you guys brought the blitz. I think it was Jair Alexander got, got Russell Wilson on the sack, but that's one of the few times that I actually saw uh, a blitz coming. How do you expect the, the defense going to create pressure up front? Uh, if they can't get those two guys to get to uh, Jimmy Garoppolo?
0: Well, that that's what they rely on. They rely on the Smiths. They rely on Kitty Clark to push the interior of that pocket Dean Lowry is kind of an under the radar, subtle playmaker for them. He, they extended him before the season. Um, and, and he's, he's been a real solid presence for them. They rely on those guys up front. They, you're right. They don't blitz a whole lot. And, and you're also right that, you know, Mike Patton pulled the perfect time to, to, to use the blitz on that two point conversion with Jair Alexander coming completely unblocked. It was a big play in that game because it prevented the Seahawks from pulling within a field goal at the time, but it's, it's no question. They're, they're relying on the Smiths, Kenny Clark, to play like Pro Bowl talents, like they believe that they are. And for the most part, especially down the stretch, I mean, Kenny Clark was on a tear really at the beginning of December. Uh, and it was really good last night again, and the Smiths have been good all year. Uh, that's, that's their formula. They, they like to bring four and they like to drop seven.
2: All right. Now, last time they played, Rodgers actually had one of the worst games of his career. He averaged 3.2 yards per pass, which is the worst of his career. And the Niners didn't have D. Ford rushing from the edge. And the Packers even won the time of possession that game by more than 10 minutes. Normally something you see happen in a dominating win, not a blowout loss. So let me wrap this up with asking you, give me a transcript of what a Packers win
0: looks like. It, they're going to need some turnovers. There's no question. They're going to need a couple of Jimmy Garoppolo picks, probably. I mean, that'd be the most likely scenario. Um, and that's something that this defense has been able to provide much of the year. Uh, they're going to need to obviously take care of the ball on the other side. They're going to need to be able to establish the run, something that they did not do in, in that first game. And, and that's Aaron Jones is going to need himself to have a night. I and mean, that's going to be important. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're going to need to stay healthy. You know, Alex Light played a lot at right tackle. It really – you know, I mentioned Jared Valdir. He, he kind of, what, what begot that acquisition was Alex Light's struggles in San Francisco. Uh, he was overmatched from the right side, and the 49ers just completely capitalized on that. Having Brian Balaga back and healthy, and, and and preferably for them, getting through the entire game, that's going to be huge. I mean, you can't understand, especially against that defense, the defensive front, how important that will be. Um, So, you know, we'll see, too, if they can stop that outside zone run. I mean, that's going to be defensively the formula, getting some interceptions from Jimmy Garoppolo and uh, and stopping the the run and and, and lining up against the scheme that Kyle Shanahan's going to throw at them. Uh, It'll be interesting. You know, they they hadn't gone against that scheme the first time, and that's a game you you guys see it all the time. It's one of the the toughest uh, um, assignment-challenged, schemes that you can have in, in this league having seen it once before should be a benefit you know it's kind of like in baseball once you see a pitcher once you can kind of start to get your timing start to get your feel know where the release point is know what to expect the break of the ball the velocity all that you that things that you don't have the first time you face them so that the, the packers have that that advantage a little bit that they've seen this before and they know again what clearly did not work uh they just it's it's up to them to make the adjustments
2: all right ryan well i want to thank you for coming on to the show for the second time this season and i i gotta leave it this way saying hey at worst case scenario you got two games left until it's met season
0: that's (laughs) right and and we'll see uh we'll see how much pain and misery and and suffering that that brings me at the time but uh yeah thanks for the memory in january (laughs)
1: Well, I mean, at this point, everybody's going to be suspended and or fired, right? That's what's happening in in the MLB. And if they're not,
0: they'll be hurting on the IL. So (laughs)
1: there's really
0: nothing good that can happen in in this scenario. I mean, of all the people to be the manager of this team that I have to hear from every day now as a Mets fan, it's the guy that didn't swing the bat in Game 7. That's that's (laughs) wonderful.
2: Uh, Well, again, thanks for joining us and uh, take care. Uh, Have a safe trip out there to San Francisco.
1: All right. Take care, guys. All right. Thanks, Ryan.
2: And again, I want to thank Ryan for coming on with us. That was a, a lot of in depth, good information from somebody that's been on the ground all season with Green Bay. Gives us a perspective that we can't get being two guys that aren't with Green Bay day in, day out, like Ryan is. But amongst the two of us, I mean, we got to kind of weigh in here. For me, this game it's a tough one because they did dominate the first matchup and they do match up so well with this green Bay team. At the same time, it's the playoffs. It's Aaron Rodgers. It almost feels like the first go around the same things we were saying the first time, because it was, yeah, green Bay has the great record, but statistically they're not that good. They're not really that good of a team as their record would indicate. So we should win, but at the same time, we're all scared of Aaron Rodgers. kind of the same thing this time around, but, there's no way the results can be dip, can be the same, right? There's no way the Niners are winning thirty-seven to eight.
1: No, no, it's not going to be that way. Uh, I posted a, a screenshot today of, of um, there was there was a statistic. Uh, I, I believe Stats Inc. was the one that came out with it. And uh, for this situation where there's a team that played once in the regular season and then they play once in the playoffs and they lost by more than twenty-three points, uh, the, those teams are fourteen and nine. So it's not like they're undefeated. It's not like it's one of those situations where it's a guaranteed win just because they, they dominate in the regular season. I, I tend to think playoffs are a different animal. And some people flame me on Twitter for this and and I get it, but I'm not one of those people that's gonna be overconfident about this and be like, oh, it's it's in the bag because the first time they played, it was really they they really, really stomped them. It's a completely different story. As Ryan said, the the game got away from Green Bay really early. And when that happens, it becomes really hard to come back, especially against defense like the Niners, who's heavily reliant on a pass rush because that immediately takes the run game away. And Aaron Jones was not a factor in the first game. So what we do know about Green Bay is they do like to run the ball. They're not a team that has a ton of dynamic playmakers. Devontae Adams is one of them. Jimmy Graham isn't what he used to be. Aaron Jones is pretty much the second guy. If you can shut down Aaron Jones and make them a one dimensional beast, then, then they're pretty much you're pretty much going to get something similar to what happened in November, but I don't know if that's going to be the case because we know that Matt LaFleur is going to come out with new, uh, new wrinkles to his game plan. So I don't know, Levin, I think that, I think that this is going to be a much closer game than people think.
2: I think it really comes down to one person for green Bay. If Devontae Adams can be that true dominant superstar receiver and put up some numbers, Green Bay can get some points and maybe squeak out a low-scoring game. But if not, I I don't see how Green Bay can score because I actually stumbled upon this earlier today. The Niners were the number one team against tight ends this season. Mm -hmm. They allowed the least yards to an opposing tight end overall on the season. So Jimmy Graham shouldn't be a factor. I mean, you got Quan's going to be back. You know, how much he plays and matches up in the passing game. Is to be determined, but you have Fred Werner and you have Qua- or you have uh, Greenlaw, all of which are very good coverage linebackers. So you're going to be able to eliminate that, and at the same time, you're also going to be able to limit the running backs coming out of the backfield. And The Niners are also one of the best teams in terms of that because you have guys like Tart that are so well at doing that, and those three linebackers that I mentioned were so great in coverage. So it's really going to come down to the wide receivers. And I think the Niners can shut down all the wide receivers but one. There's only one guy that has a matchup that he could could end up winning, and that's Devontae Adams. They've got to shut him down. And I don't think it's any question in my mind that Green Bay is going to purposely move him around Mm. and get him away from Sherman. Because Sherman, I think, does match up with Devonte Adams well, because Devontae Adams' strength is that he's big physical and he runs phenomenal routes. Well, what's Sherman's strengths? He's big physical, and he's great at reading a uh, wide receiver's body language and not falling for, you know, the, the routes, not falling for the the uh, deeks and things like that. So I think they're going to move him around. and you even saw that some in this last playoff game for them. They will play him in the slot. And I think that's where they're going to try to get him. They're going to try to get him in that slot, matched up with Quan uh, Williams, and they're going to have him doing crossing patterns over the middle and out routes underneath uh, other receiver routes that take the cornerback deep. They're going to you know, run a go with Allison where Sherman is. Get Sherman out of the picture and have... Uh, Adams do that crossing route where he comes across and Quan Williams is left one-on-one because the guy going deep has taken the corner and the safety with him. That's what I see happening a lot. And that's going to be the key. I think Quan Williams will end up being the key player in this game.
1: Yeah. I thought about that too, where they would want to get Devontae Adams away from Sherman either on Mosley or Quan Williams. And that's a matchup that favors green Bay. It's a game of matchups, right? And Really, that's one matchup that Green Bay can win if they if they want it. However, the one thing that we'll point to is that the Niners can most likely get get there with four rushers, and what that does is that enables them to play more guys. Uh, that's seven guys in coverage, right? So less throwing less throwing lanes. If you get Aaron Rodgers off his spot, obviously he's a, he's a very good quarterback on the run, one of the best that we've seen in terms of uh, getting out of the pocket and throwing on the run. However if they can collapse the pocket and eliminate those running lanes and uh, and eliminate his ability to leave the pocket when he rolls out, it's going to be huge for the defenders because that's what happened the first time where they just swarmed him and, and he just didn't have any time. And remember there's no D Ford that time. There's no D Ford, no Quan Alexander, no Joe Staley. So I, I realized that those three players did not play and those guys are all pretty much fresh at this point uh, just because they had so much time off in the season. But that's really how you beat Aaron Rodgers. And that's how they beat him the first time is that you have to be able to get there with four because you have to be able to have more guys in coverage. He will find the one-on-one mismatch and he will beat you. That's that's what Aaron Rodgers does. That I have so much respect for the guy because of that. So I think that that's how Green Bay wins if they do win is that they exploit one of those matchups and they keep going back to it. I, I'm not really... Thinking that Aaron Jones with the return of Quan Alexander, I'm not thinking Aaron Jones will be much of a factor on the ground. I think that the Niners' defense is pretty stout with the, against the run. Uh, shout out to Earl Mitchell for the the, the play on on uh, Saturday. Really savvy veteran signing that they that they added to the rotation. But uh, it's just it just really starts with with stopping Aaron Rodgers. And I think that if he's able to sh- complete short, quick passes, that neutralizes a pass rush. And I think that they'll probably try that at the beginning. A lot of really short, quick stuff. Uh, we know sometimes the Niners corners like to play off. You mentioned how Sherman does that sometimes. So uh a lot of short quick stuff, a lot of screens, moving the pocket, that sort of stuff to try to neutralize these pass rushers.
2: I think a lot if you want to say the biggest thing this game is gonna come down to, I would say it's gonna be which offensive line can hold up because both teams are good at get at getting to the quarterback. The Packers don't quite have the depth in that regard but they do have two very good speed rushers on the outsides
0: mm-hmm.
2: being the smith bro- brothers that were mentioned in that interview with Ryan and it's going to come down to who can ho- what offensive line can hold up better because i think when you're going to be getting to these quarterbacks you're going to be causing mistakes mm-hmm. you're either going to get a drive killing sack or you're going to create a turnover and both teams need to avoid that both offensive lines need to give their quarterbacks enough time when they do have to pass. And whatever team does that better, I think is going to end up winning. I don't think it's going to be all that close, but I do think the Niners, if they lose, that's what's happening is that they get down, they have to pass and that offensive line gets destroyed and Jimmy is flustered and is getting pressured and is not getting enough time.
1: They have to play a mistake-free game and, and, they didn't do that against Minnesota. Jimmy had the interception. Breed had the fumble. And McGlinchey had a, a, a bad series where he didn't get out of his stance. He had a false start and then didn't get out of his stance on the next play. And Danielle Hunter got an e- easy sack. Um, and, I, and, and we saw that the, the play where Jimmy got his ankle rolled up on as well. So I think that was a factor as well uh, to, to how they played and, and the fact that they didn't play uh, mistake-free football. But that being said, they have to be able to limit – those types of mistakes because you can't get away with those every single time. Like they did. Like when, when Jimmy threw that pick and Minnesota got a field goal out of it, I I was like, okay, that's a win for the Niners because they didn't tie the game. And you can't expect your defense to do that every single time. And they've been playing mistake-free football for a while. Like they played a mistake-free game in Seattle on offense and they, and they ended up winning. So I think that if it's a mistake-free game, the Niners win by a lot. If they make mistakes, they will probably still win by, but by less And if they make a lot of mistakes, then they're going to lose. So that's what it comes down to. And this is all elementary football stuff, right? It's all stuff that we know, but when it comes to playoff time, every single thing matters, every single thing counts, every yard of field position, every penalty, every drop pass, everything matters more because there is no, there is no tomorrow. And I'm being incredibly cliche here, but I'm with you. I think that, I think that they should win this game. I think that the, the Niners are the better team, clearly both on paper and on the field. However, they can't be kicking the ball around on special teams and missing field goals and throwing picks and fumbling stuff. They can't be doing that. You have to play a relatively mistake-free game or a mistake-free game to win. That, that's just how it is in the playoffs. I'm just
2: glad that you're well aware how cliche you were being. Oh, uh, I am
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm happy you're
2: aware of that. <laughs> oh,
1: I, I, it's funny because we're on video right now. I see your face and you're just like kind of almost rolling your eyes and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I know, I know. <laughs> Yeah,
2: I don't have a very good poker face unless there's money on the table. There's no <laughs> money on the table right now.
1: <laughs> but uh but all right, so let's let's uh let's get to predictions, man. Um we'll start with stats who's uh who's out sick and uh hopefully we'll be back with us next week uh talking about a 49ers win. Um I'm I'm thinking that stats would probably pick the I don't know, picked the, 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 the Niners, I think, right? <laughs> Is that the name? Yeah, the 49ers. Yeah. So I, I'm going to say Stats is going to pick the 49ers. I'll put his prediction out there. And uh, Stats says that the Niners win um, 30 to, to 19. We'll get, all we'll right. get to a bunch of field goals kicked in there.
2: <laughs> all right. I, I think this is going to be a game that the Niners don't quite put away to make you feel fully comfortable, but they're in control all game. I don't think Green Bay can put up a lot of points unless there's just really bad breakdowns in the secondary, which I don't foresee. So I, I think it's a game that the Niners kind of stay, you know, seven to ten points ahead all game where, yeah, they it can become a real game with one score, but it, it's Niners controlled all the way through. And I'll go with a final score, 24 to 13.
1: There you go. All right. So I'm going to go Niners as well. And I'm going to say that they win by 10. I'm going to say the spread's seven, by the way, but I'm going to say they win by 10. The Niners, uh, basically, they'll ice it with a late uh, a late field goal uh, to make it 31-21. And I think that this game will be in doubt most of the way. I think it's going to be a much closer game than people think. And I think that Jimmy has to be better. Like, he wasn't bad. I'm not saying he was bad last weekend. You know how pro Jimmy I am, but he has to be better than he was last weekend. and I th- And I think that he will be. And I think the Niners' defense will step up yet again. Aaron Rodgers will give him a nice run for the money, but I think they'll put it away. And, man, you know what that means, man? If if all these predictions come true, what does that mean? That means the Niners are going to Miami to play for their sixth Super Bowl. And the parallels between this team and the 94 team are are kind of crazy. David Lombardi of The Athletic put out a, a few of these parallels. And it's and – it's, I mean, it is coincidence, but it's kind of funny to talk about. So both teams, uh, they – they were both thirteen and three. They were both the one seed. They both got the bye, Obviously, both teams um, were able to uh, uh, secure their position to go to Miami. Um, both teams obviously had the home championship game that they that they uh, would host. So there is a, a slew of other things that both of these teams did between ninety four and and. Uh, and now are you down to like the Jersey patch where like ninety four they had a seventy-fifth anniversary jersey patch now they had a hundredth anniversary jersey patch? Just some really fun and, and dumb things. Anything we can hold on to for superstition. But I mean, Levin, I'm I'm so excited about this thought of, of the Niners playing for a Super Bowl, no matter who they play, Kansas City or, or Tennessee. I'm so excited about it.
2: I'm gonna date myself right now, but do you hear that? I can hear Will Smith welcoming me to Miami. <laughs>
1: some oh, people man. won't get that <laughs> that's what 97 98 i think right like yeah that was that, w- will smith back when he was uh, when he was uh an artist but dude if-
2: hey, hey that's perfect timing because bad boys is coming out so i gotta make that reference right now oh, so yeah, bad boys, boys three's coming out will smith miami so Yo, come on now. Pay,
1: pay us for the promo bad boys come on even throw throw a few bucks our way people
2: our age will love that reference everybody else will be going What's wrong with this guy?
1: (laughs) I I got you though. I followed you on that. So, um, but man, I'm super excited. And and before we go, just a couple of quick thoughts on how the season's gone. I don't know what's going to happen this weekend. I tweeted this out too last weekend, but I I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who's going to win. Obviously we can't tell the future, but Levin, it's been, I, I, I think we can agree as a 49ers fan. It's been such a fun season up to this point. It's been amazing. It's been a roller coaster at some times, but it's been the most fun I've had watching football in over half a decade, and to have the Niners in the in the mix for the Super Bowl and not in the mix for the first the number one overall pick has been such a refreshing thing. And, and I think that this team is here to stay. This is not just a flash in the pan. And I'm so excited that I think that this is just the beginning. They're just scratching the surface with this team, and it's been so much fun to watch.
2: I was going to say, and and the best news of that is, regardless of what happens to end this season, whether it's a Super Bowl victory or not. Kyle Shanahan's only 40 years old, and Mm -hmm. I don't think he's going anywhere because he has family history with this team. He is kind of almost the new Bill Walsh in that he's the offensive genius of the NFL Mm -hmm. right now. So it's kind of fitting for him to be here, and John Lynch is going to be here for quite a while. So the dynamic that built this team is not going anywhere, and a lot of the 49ers best players are all young.
1: Mm-hmm. So this team's going to be here for a while. Absolutely. And they only have, I mean, they're only a couple players away from really being the best roster in the league. In my opinion, they're, they're that good. Um, so, but before before we head out, I, I do want to hear your prediction on the AFC game, because this obviously affects the Niners and our prediction. So who wins the, the game between the chiefs and the Titans?
2: It's going to be the chiefs. I don't think it'll be all that close. And that's not just because my brother is a huge Titans fan and <laughs> for about 10 years did his own Titans podcast. <laughs> I think it would be kind of cool to play against my brother's team in the Super Bowl, and I do like the Niners' chances of winning against the Titans a lot better. But mm-hmm. I don't. I think Kansas City, they're peaking at the right time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mahomes is getting back to that MVP level and that scares me quite a bit. Kansas City, I think, is a team to be scared of because they have enough weapons to to penetrate this Niner's defense, and Mahomes is a quarterback who can buy enough time to do that. I'm not scared of their run game, for obvious reasons, Mm -hmm. and there is the whole Andy Reid coaching in a big game thing going on that could rear its head, but Kansas City... I, I would say that game is more of a toss-up, pretty close to a toss-up, whereas playing Tennessee would be massive favorites, one of the biggest favorites, I think, in in Super Bowl history.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's I think it's going to be Kansas City. And, hey, at least the Seahawks are out, right? So we don't have to worry about that <laughs> no matter what. But, uh, but it's going to be fun. And Kansas City was almost out. Bill O'Brien, idiot, dummy, like, why are you faking a punt when you're up by 17 points? That, liter- that literally killed their season. Should be fired. He won't, but I, I don't care about the Texans. I care about the Niners. So. <laughs> I'll say this. Coming after that game, if anybody was able to lay a wager on
2: what Houston professional coach was the next to be fired and put it on A.J. Hinch, the <laughs> Houston Astros manager, that person is a very rich man
1: <laughs> right now. Oh, man. That was that was bad. This this has the potential. I know we're, we're a football and Niners podcast, but uh, I I won't bore everybody with the details. But check out AJ. Just Google AJ Hinch and and the Houston Astros and see what happened uh, to them as of the recording of the show. It's early this week, but man, that's bad. That's really bad. <laughs> hey, it gives gives my A's a chance to to get uh, get a ring, right? So, but it's fine because my Niners <laughs> will get a ring first. The Niners will get a ring first, and we'll, we'll worry about uh,
2: the a's. a's and a ring. That is funny.
1: <laughs> anyway, so. We're babbling now. So, anyways, 411 Black, I am Zayn Napi and Stats Guerrero, who cannot be here today, is out sick. So, get well soon, Stats. Uh, and we will be back, hopefully, with uh, another victory podcast for you guys uh, next week with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle podcast. Best of luck to the Niners. And let's see what happens, guys.